Hello, kind-hearted people of Earth and beyond. Welcome to the Kindness Rising podcast, the podcast that aims to inspire people to lead lives that flourish, grounded in kindness. My name is Brandon Blanks. I'm a writer and a stand-up comedian. I'm also the producer and co-host of this show. We got a very special episode for you guys today. It's not only special because it's our first episode, it's also special because the guest of our show is my co-host, Keith Page. Uh, Normally, it's going to be Keith and I interviewing people, but we thought for the first episode it would be fun and interesting for you guys to find out a little bit more about Keith and Kindness Rising in general. So Keith has a fascinating life story with many twists and turns, so we decided to focus on his evolution as a community starter that has taken him uh, through most of his life and led him to his latest project, Kindness Rising, of which this podcast gets its name. Keith is a good friend of mine, and it was interesting to sit down formally and get his life story, Uh, so I hope you really enjoy it and you get a look at who Keith is and what we're trying to do with Kindness Rising. As always, the Kindness Rising podcast is brought to you by Kindness Rising. Kindness Rising is a community organization committed to inspiring, equipping, and resourcing people to lead lives that flourish, grounded in kindness, and aimed at making the world a better place. For more information, please visit our website at kindnessrising.community. There you can find out about our upcoming events, how to get involved. You can sign up for our newsletter, find out more information about this podcast, or even donate. Kindness Rising is supported solely by the generous contribution of our lovely donors. So if you would like to help support us, please go to kindnessrising.community forward slash donate. All right, kind-hearted people. We got a great first episode for you guys today. Thank you so much for tuning in and enjoy this episode of the Kindness Rising Podcast. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Kindness Rising Podcast, and I'm Keith Page. And if you have found your way onto this podcast, then we hope, and I say we because I'm here also with Brandon Blanks. How you doing? Yep. And you're going to get to know Brandon and love Brandon like I do. He is just a great, great guy. And uh, I'm so happy to have him on this amazing adventure with me and with us. This is our very first podcast. We are uh, launching it here in the fall of 2022. And we're excited to have you on as uh, a listener and not only a listener, but hopefully a friend and a subscriber and a, a partner with us and whatever that means for you as we start to unpack my kindness rising journey and how Brandon has come along, his own kindness rising journey, and then um, an invitation really to all of you that are listening so that you can, you know, I guess most importantly, be affirmed that kindness rising is already in you and maybe what we talk about and share tonight um, just gives you some more encouragement, but also maybe you're looking for a place to plug in, to be encouraged, to be inspired, to be motivated, to see how it could look, to find some more people, another a tribe for yourself to connect with. And so we'll talk at the end of our time together uh, on this show how you can plug in. So what I'm going to do is let Brandon say a hello. He may have a few words of things I've already missed, and then he's going to take it away and kind of be the the question asker to help guide me down the road of unpacking kind of this kindness rising story. How does that sound, Brandon? Sounds good. Yeah, I'll take over. Okay. I, uh, can you can you folks hear me out that well? It's just a podcast. <laughs> the joke is that the first podcast is like it's either the no one hears it or the biggest fan. So I hope you're you're the biggest fan that of going back and listening. Yeah. 
This is uh, so we're going to be going through Keith's journey through. Keith has been involved in a lot of organizations, of which Kindness Rising is the latest one. Would you say, or, or maybe the the evolu- the, the yes. most recent iteration, yeah. evolution iteration. Most recent, and I like to say at my age that you know it's my it's my great uh, final act as far as organizations. I've got a lot more things to say and do, but as far as launching another organization. My hope is Kindness Rising kind of encapsulates all the other stuff I've done and is a launching pad, not only for me, but for, you know, our friends and family and kids and next generation and just a, a cool place to, uh, for people to build and do stuff. Kind of has a, that has a legacy. To yeah, it. yeah, absolutely. That's all. Yeah. And, and I think that's, it's funny as we've started together, I've been involved for about a month full time now, I'd say, or a little longer than maybe two months, but it's, as you tell people about it, it's something that's such a big idea in a lot of ways, but also very simple. It's hard to pinpoint. It's like, well, it's an organization, but it's also a community. It's also, and so, yeah, this is a, it'll be cool to go. I, I like what you said about how this is kind of your last, it's all the things you've learned. It's sort of like, well, this is my, my, my great work, my big, uh, my big it, it, it opus. Does. Right? That's what it feels like. Yeah. Cool. It feels like it's all, all the things that I've done and we'll get into that have led to this. And this feels like, um, I don't know, enough, you know? Yeah. And Cool. Well, uh, so the way we're going to, the themes I'm going to be kind of asking Keith to focus on, because, you know, a life story, there's a lot of paths and f- angles as you, to look at. So we're going to be going through all the different organizations that Keith has been a part of throughout his whole life. And the question that I asked him a second ago to think about while we're going through this is, what was the glue that held those organizations together? You know, Keith's been part of churches or secular groups. And so if you can kind of, while while we were, we're talking about it, think about what see if we can't articulate or remember what you really think is like the one or two things that really kept, you know, like, uh, you know, America or what, you know, or just community. Yeah. An organization or a group you've been a part of, right. That's listening. Think about your own and think about what, as I reflect on mine and Brandon maybe reflects on his, you think about yours and what is it? What's the, what's the core concept, the guiding value, the bedrock principle, right? Have you heard of the concept of the, of the third thing? No. It's this thing. Uh, so the idea, I forget, it's from some book. I heard John Green talk about it on one of his YouTube shows. So it's the, this theory that humans, two humans or humans in general need a third thing to kind of t- discuss while in order to interact. And so that it's like, there's got to be like sports are a big example of like the benefit of like it's, it, it brings people together because there's like a third thing, but not that's not it's not bigger than that. Well, it is bigger than us, but it's not us that we can kind of connect over. Hmm. And so, and is that why they call it third? Because the first is one person. The second is. Yeah. The other so person between two people third. like parent, like uh, a married couple needs a kid. They say to I mean, this is depending on the values right. structure, but it helps to have a third thing to kind of be partnering up on. Anyway, so maybe kindness is the or we'll see what a. Uh, what brings it together? Yeah. So yeah, good. let's start. Uh, let's start at the beginning. Let's jump in, yeah. Brandon. All right. So, what was the very first? Actually, I'll start here. What was the first time you felt? Like, was there a time you felt like there was a community that you wanted to be a part of that you weren't allowed to? Was that oh, the first time? Let's see. Were that... you always able to be in every community? <laughs> no, I think part of my great. Um, drive was often this feeling of not totally fitting sort of fitting in but not totally fitting in and the longing or the need to belong and i think that's why so many of the organizations i ended up starting in my late you know early adult to late adult life had this thing that uh it was a place for those who maybe didn't feel like they belonged in other spaces that were similar but yet a little different so there was a nuance to this thing i was doing 
And it was so for those who hadn't yet belonged could now sort of belong to it also. So I think that's because there was, you know, maybe part of me and maybe it's more in my head, you know, that I, I didn't always sort of fit in. You were uh, part of the group, but you kind of felt like an outsider. Like it's not yeah. they didn't let you in, but you you felt a little outside. Yeah, of that, yeah, and, and and you know, through years of you know from counseling to recovery work to everything else, there is this sense in a lot. I'm finding a lot of our heads that we don't always feel like we belong. Yeah, and even if we do, we make up stories in our own mind to create uh, outsider feeling, which then can lead to isolation and it, it kind of proves its point. You're like, right. well, I'm a loner because I decided that, and then I stopped coming, and then yeah, right. now you go, look, I'm a loner. Nobody likes me. Yeah. So, um, no, I mean, you know, I wasn't the most popular kid, but I wasn't a I wasn't a loner kid. I had friends, but they weren't the most in crowd. But they they were sort of you know. Yeah, you middle, you were on the road. Yeah, so yeah, you I weren't could, like the, the maybe this the, the shining example of the group, but you were definitely part of the gang, right? Yep, yeah, you never yeah, felt like sure. you weren't like cool. Well, then, so the, yeah, what was the very first group you were ever uh, maybe not a part of? What was the first one you ever had any responsibilities in? Oh, that's a good question. I think um, the first one that keeps coming to my mind. There maybe one was earlier. You know, I was raised in the church, and so I was I always was thinking, well, maybe youth group type stuff, like Sunday school, uh, um, or, Sunday school yeah. as an elementary kid. I don't remember any major role, except I'll tell you this on, um, in seventh grade, there was a, uh, I found out there was a boys club local and they had, and I was playing basketball a lot. I was playing in church leagues and city leagues. And I found out the garden Grove, um, boys club had a league of seventh grade boys that could put together teams somehow. I don't know how I got my dad to do this, but I, because I had played in fifth and sixth grade rec leagues, I knew some of the best players in the leagues. And I talked my dad into, I don't know how we did this without social media. And I don't think I had all these guys' phone numbers, so I really don't know all the details. All I remember is I ended up in the living room of all of a bunch of boys, one, at a, one household at a time, with my dad and I recruiting the son, the boy, to be on our basketball team. And my dad and I basically built a really killer seventh grade like sports agent sports like basketball around. team. And, and it was like I knew who the biggest guys were, and I wanted good centers, and I wanted good shooters, and I wanted good power forwards. And we had this guy named Bronny, and he was like our defensive stopper who could defend anybody. So and, you're like the, you got the team together, and you were going to be on the team. And so I was on the team, too. And my dad was the coach. Man, hey. And we ended up winning this little seventh grade you know, Garden Grove Boys Club championship. And I just thought, wow, that was my first role of identifying good players, be it athletes or years later as I'm starting organizations, good players in other areas of gifting that I could bring on a team and we could have success with. Yeah, you can see like the, the puzzle pieces and because a team is really important and someone just being a big part of a team doesn't mean you're good at organizing a team necessarily. Right. right. Absolutely. And we were, um, we ended up, there was, uh, a, there used to be cars called the Dotsons. Oh yeah. Dotson. yeah the Dots. And so there Nissan, was a, a right? garden Grove. Yeah. So it was garden, called the garden Grove. There was a Dotson dealer of garden Grove and they were just coming out with a car called the little hustler. So we got Dotson to sponsor us and our uniform said, uh, dot the little hustlers. That's, and so that was that's, our, that's good. That was our team. Orange County, always conservative capitalist place. Yes, the hustlers. That's right. Yeah, the hustlers. Cool. So that was seventh grade, you Se- said? Seventh grade. And so but I guess a little bit before that, you saw uh, your parents were really involved in the church community. And so what was the value, what was the, the narrative around what, why community is important or what is, was community seen as like that? You know, my family, it's always like, you can always trust your family. That was sort of a community, I, I don't know. Yeah, I think it was my dad was more of a loner, only child um, okay. in his household. 
And um, my mom came from a family and they were involved in the local church. And when my mom and dad started dating at age 15 or 16, my dad was really impressed by number one, my mom's family and going over to dinner and sitting around the table and experiencing community of a mom and dad and my mom's sister and brother. Right. And so that was community for my dad. So family. And then my grandparents on my mother's side from early days, long before I was ever even born, when my parents were dating, were involved in their local church. So my grandfather, who's my mom's dad, Lee Whitman, was Mr. Sunday school guy. He was Mr. Real estate. He knew people, never met a stranger, could talk to anybody, charming and kind and loving and loved God and, you know, had all these adult Sunday school uh, teachers and he organized them. And so that was my parents' value was family and faith when they started dating. Then they have me and at age 22, they're having their first kid, me. It was just a natural step that they would plug into a Baptist church, just like my grandma and grandpa were Baptist. Oh, so they weren't part of the same community that you they grew up in or? The, they, um, I think they lived in Santa Ana. And then I don't know, by the time I was born, they had found a church um, in Westminster. Okay. So, I, yeah. I don't know how the, the change in that. So I grew up in this church that they, um, that they were, you know, getting involved with. And so all of my memories are Sunday morning church, Sunday school and church, Sunday night church, Wednesday night, you know, youth group. And then Sunday afternoons potlucks and everybody would come together, the whole church and they'd bring out all the food and all the desserts and the kids would all play and the parents would all do stuff. And more than anything, it just felt like a sense of family, like a big extended family food, all these F's family, food, fun, faith, you know, forgiveness, forgiveness, big, big on that. Uh, Um, and so that was a sort of a non-negotiable, all of my childhood and teenage life. Even when my sisters come along, my mom and dad were always involved in serving, ushering, uh, and later they started opening up our home for you. Even when, before we, us kids were in youth group, my parents would allow the youth leader to bring the high school kids over, open up our home, use that for youth group nights. So we just, as kids, were like, oh, this is what we do as the Page family. We open up our home. We're involved in the local church. We give of ourselves. We serve. And it just made sense. It was just so ingrained. There wasn't was even just, a question. No, you, you never fought it. You didn't You right. didn't even realize you could. It was Right, just, right. It was just a part of. And it made our life bigger than just us. Yeah. So that was that third, what's it called? Yeah, third, the third, third thing. thing yeah, right? yeah, the community. Or also, I just yeah. think it's nice to have family friends because, you know, you help each other out and it's like. You yep. hear about other people's problems and then it makes yours not as bad or, or the other way around. It's like, you know, people are kind of Somebody has doing okay. So they can be, you know, they they can go bo- like pick up your kids when you're stressed out or something. Absolutely. A lot of supportive stuff that way. So, yeah. yeah. Cool. Okay. So then, uh, so that's, you grew up around the, uh, so wh- what was the first uh, church that you were, that you were in charge of organizing? So you were involved in your youth group, but when did you have your first leadership or how would I say it? Like, you know, starting your own organization besides yeah. the, so that there was the team. And then what was the first uh, spiritual within the church? Yeah. So we, when I was in college, the youth leader was starting to hire three interns and he selected three of us and asked me uh, if I wanted to work with the college age group. I said, absolutely. And he said, that's interesting. I thought maybe you'd want to work with junior high or high school since you're college age, you're the youngest of the three interns. And I said, no, I really want to work with people my own age. That just seems really cool to not be an adult talking in my mind, it was like, Oh, I'd have to talk down at the kids. If I was, you know, this eight, uh, 20 year old kid working with high school kids, I'd have to yell at them or babysit. Yeah. Them. You'd have to kind of wrangle but them this up. idea of being a college kid working with college kids just felt very peer, you know, uh, eyeball to eyeball, 
yeah. equal level. But what I did was right away got my mom and dad involved, roped them in. You know, I'd see, always seen them involved in exercising their gifts and talents in the church. And so I said, hey, mom and dad, I'm this college intern now. Uh, mom, you like, you know, opening up the home, using your gifts of sort of hospitality and friendliness and warmth. And dad, you really like to help people understand the Bible, teach Bible study classes. Why don't we do something in our home? And within literally a few weeks or a few months, we had, I don't know, I, I don't want to exaggerate, 30, 40 easily college age kids coming into our home in Mission Viejo. And my dad would, all I did was like, I was the MC. I would welcome, I'd say, we're so glad you're here. Who's, who's new? And just, yeah, just moderate, like Make facilitate. people feel comfortable. And, right. you know, and then I'd say, okay, now we're going to have my dad. He's, you know, been studying this week and he's got some things that are on his heart and he's going to share. And then afterwards I'd thank him. I'd be like, okay, mom, what are we doing now for food? What's in the kitchen? My mom would say a few things and it was, you know, yeah. and then the same thing, I would have friends that would have sort of gifts and talents, whether they're musical or they wanted to let us volunteer their cars for trips or their, you know, ideas or thoughts or other leadership. And pretty soon it was just this way of, oh, I just involve um, other people in using their gifts and talents to plug in. And where did you meet the initial? So was it an offshoot of like, did you have to find each person individually to join your youth group or were they kind of already associated with the church? So the, our, our college age group was not very big because it wasn't a big Baptist church. I would say we had maybe 10 to 15 people in the college group, but okay. we all had friends. So I worked at Miller's Outpost, which was a retail store in the mall and everybody had side jobs and neighbors and friends and friends from other churches. And, and the minute there's something good happening with food and fellowship and fun and all that, people just you know, they hear about it they, and it's why not They yeah. flock to it. Right. I've gone to some things for food. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> but, that, uh, that was, you know, that was my taste of what I would call, um, ministry that I was doing beyond just, um, uh, watching my parents more do it or me just being involved in youth group. And that's different than bringing a group of like a, a basketball team together where you're like, I want you for this specific thing. We're in a, a group is just bringing anyone and trying to find that harmony. Like there's, it's less selective, I guess, but it's, yes. And so I was going we forgot to ask, what do you think held together your basketball team? Um, I think it was this commitment to win. Got right? it. Yeah. That it was the driving co- kind were. of competition to win. And this fact that we all knew we were, we could be pretty good athletes and that we'd been handpicked for, for this purpose of to winning. be the best. Like be that, the best. that makes you feel that's the goal is to be your best, not to, to just have fun or something like right. that. Uh, that's okay. Cool. So, uh, achievement or yeah, I guess, yeah, or probably uh, yeah. excelling, excelling uh-huh. excellence is a thing that I forgot about. I saw it on like an old clock. It was like <laughs> excellence and like, you know, those cheesy, like American flag anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh yeah. Uh, so what do you think held the, your, what do you think held your church community together that you grew up with? Oh, um, probably, I mean, Jesus, probably, yeah, I want to say Jesus, probably tradition. I think there was a tradition around um, people in the Baptist church, people getting saved, like altar calls where people every Sunday, Sunday morning and Sunday night, the pastor came down front and it was sort of this invitation for people to come and accept, accept Jesus as their savior. And then a few weeks later, they'd be baptized. um, And there was a a passion about seeing souls saved. Right. So in some ways that is a sense of accomplishment. Yeah. yeah. So that the goal was to save people, not necessarily. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I would, I would say in those days in the seventies in the Baptist church, probably. Yeah. Got Okay. Cause yeah, different like, you know, Catholic church, I don't think does as much converting energy, right? right? It's sort of like 
for the people that have already been doing. I mean, I, I yes. didn't grow up in the church for the listeners out there. I, you know, kind of Easter Christian mom prayed sort of to God, non-denominational, that sort of thing. But, Got it. But yeah, I didn't. So, okay. So Baptist. So that's what the sort of metric of success was. It's like, we got a lot of people out of hell today, this yeah, week. I think so. Yeah. We yeah. save, save people from hell. Cool. Right? Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, uh, and you said like in routine, it's like creating the ritual was very important. Like, and it was always the same, like the idea of creating a community regularity is important. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. That's like why for people, sure. this is the seventies. Yeah. This was seventies. Yep. In Southern California, pre just pre, uh, hippie, um, right in the midst of, we started bumping into a few people that were part of the hippie Jesus people movement who were going to this wild hippie church called Calvary Chapel. Oh yeah. And I remember as a kid meeting, you know, going over to this home and it felt like total hippieville and long hair. And yet they were Christians. And was that were, like the Jesus movement? That quotes? was the Jesus yeah, movement yeah. that came right out of, almost right out of here at Costa Mesa, well, Calvary Chapel. No, it's a quite a, quite a Christian hotbed. Yeah, uh, it really is. It's um, fascinating. All right. What, so after, so the youth, so after your youth group, you did that for how long all through the, the internship was for, So that was just a, a summer. That was a summer. And then a, during a part of a school year, um, okay. my, like my sophomore year of college. And then you kind of took a, it dissolved and well, yeah, I had to go back to uh, college and then I had the opportunity to land a job at a mega church. Same kind of thing. I took some youth ministry classes, met a guy named Doug. He was the youth pastor at a mega church in, in Newport beach and he took a liking to me, offered me an internship with five others. So it was six of us doing an internship. Youth group was 200 kids. Wow. And I got to see a real mega church in action where every Sunday, this was like 1987, um, about 8,000 adults were coming to this church. Like three, we had three services on Sunday morning, I think. Wow. And just packing in people. 8,000. Which was massive in the 80s. It was. And we weren't a denomination. It was like this total new style, non-denominational church where the pastor really said, I just, I don't talk to Christians. I don't talk to non-Christians. I talk to people. And that was sort of his tagline. Got it. And then they didn't advertise a lot other than word of mouth. He said, people bring people. And it was a really fascinating phenomenon. A lot of uh, ex-Catholics, a lot of denominational people finding that their church was less they might say less relevant. And there was a movement in the eighties where these mega churches were starting to be called what was called seeker sensitive. They were starting to speak more of the common language and more relevant, less suits, a little bit more casual, a little bit more upbeat music. Some of those things caught more common language to kind of bridge the gap between people that it's, they're not, not to be preaching to the choir. Right. That's yeah. Right. And not, not to reach the reached, but to reach the unreached, reach the seekers that yeah. were maybe, maybe believers, but not connected to any, you know, spiritual church. Well, like home. maybe the, Orange County has a lot of transplants. So maybe people that had a church when they moved from Ohio, True. but now they yep. need a place. So it's kind of just general Christian-y, like kind of, I'm not going to church. Yeah. That's right. good. And so how, how big was that? How long? So this was Mariner's church. So this was called, it was called South coast community oh, church. South coast community um, church. Ultimately years later it and Mariner's would merge. Got it. But this was before that Mariner's was down the street. Okay. So that's... so I did that for um, a, a year and a half. And then when I graduated, they offered me a full-time job and paid me enough to, you know, to where I thought, well, I could survive full-time like an out of college, you know, first job out of college. Right, yeah. And it was exciting. And, um, and I did that and began to sense like, whoa, this, this is really fun. It's exciting because it wasn't just Keith, the overly spiritual guy trying to be this, um, overly religious spiritual person to 20 kids in a youth group and be their youth leader. It was Keith empower training, recruiting, training, um, equipping 40 to 50 adult volunteers 
who then all helped us by helping out with the Sunday morning program, our camps, our trips, our small groups. So it was exciting for me to say, oh, I'm really multiplying myself by developing leaders. And then every leader can invest in kids. And it was a way to impact more kids. So you, like you found the first time you could delegate well with like a huge group and really, I mean, like you said, multiply yourself. It's like you, sure. you got 50 times more work done than you could on that. Absolutely. And it was really fun to watch these. We had adults of all ages, but especially people in their 20s and 30s looking for meaning and purpose beyond their Orange County job and their Orange County hobby or paycheck, you know, and for them to give a couple hours on a Sunday plus a few hours during the week, maybe a weekend every quarter for a camp or a retreat freely, you know, just to volunteer that as a way to give back into the lives of young, you know, young or t- teenagers was really amazing. Now, is it the, is it tricky when you're, cause you know, I'm, I mostly do like com- commercial you know projects and that sort of thing. I don't do a ton of volunteer work in my past. So it's, how do you treat, and so professionalism is a thing I'm really big on, but when you're volunteering, it's like, how do you know when you're working people too much or asking too much? Cause it's very clear when you're paying someone like what they expect, but is it, what would you say? Yeah, that's a good question. It's like when you're getting a group of volunteers together, what can be kind of, what's the good parts and what are the tricky parts of doing that? Yeah, I think the good parts are allowing people to, to, we've kind of got to break it down into bite size, like what's, what's efficiency, right? Or what's effectiveness. And we found that one adult or let's say, yeah, we'll call it one adult for five kids, five students, like a, a guy who, you know, has a, prof- a suit job, a professional job. If he could say, I'll take five to six guys and once a week on a Thursday night for six to 8 p.m., I'll meet with them at Carl's Jr. And we'll do a devotional together and I'll check yeah. in with them and, you know, and we'll go around the circle and each guy will, each young, you know, each high school guy will talk about what's going on in his life and we'll all listen. And then, the, you know, the boys are gonna be poking each other and not listening. And it's his job to kind of say, Hey, listen, you guys, like in a fun way, almost like a big brother thing, right? Yeah. Like a group getting into a yeah, discussion. Yeah. Hey, we're, we're get, you know, Brian's sharing right now. You guys listen, you want to, you want to, you want Brian to listen when you share, right? And it's just like teaching him, you know, manners and right? group, and group, group dynamics still, and, and yeah. listening. And so it was that, and then he would have them um, share about maybe a prayer request they had or a need they had, and he'd teach them to, hey, let's just take them in and pray for each other in just a simple sentence prayer. You know, what's one thing you're thankful for? Almost like what parents sometimes do, but also some parents don't do is going around the dinner table. What are you thankful for today? God, it gives you that platform. Or sometimes it's like just awkward because your parents don't do that thing. It's it's easier to have someone else do it sometimes because it's not like this weird. You're just like, all right, this guy's just, he's a cool guy. Right, he's doing it. And yeah. He plays guitar in the band. Totally, exactly. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, so we thought, okay, an adult can do that. And then adult is probably going to go to church anyway on Sunday morning. So if they come early for two hours and go to the, you know, instead of going to the 10 a.m. service, they can come into the youth group that meets at 10 and then they can hit the 1130 service. You know, and so, and we thought, and we, you know, we, we would test that and the adults were like, yeah, I could do that. So just yeah. adding a little bit to what they're, they're already coming anyway. So you don't right. ask them to come on a whole nother day. You're just like, Hey, why don't right. you come an hour earlier? So they're given a Thursday night and a, you know, and then they're already coming on Sunday morning. And so when we did our whole recruiting, we would let them know, we'd say, Hey, we need adults to do lead small groups. And here's the commitment. We need adults just to come on Sunday, even if you can't lead a small group and just do this. We need adults to, you know, come and help do this camp, camp surf. We would take 200 kids down to the beach down, uh, 
uh, what was it called? I forget. It's down south of San Diego, oh, wow. Imperial Beach. That's what it was. And it was called Camp Serve. We'd take 200 kids, and we'd have to have a whole cooking team and pack in food and oh, yeah, adult like leaders. That. And some adults would just come and just do that one thing every year. So they were like event staff. They weren't uh, yeah, they, so they much the relational stuff. Okay. Flipping burgers, making pancakes. The reserves almost. Totally. Yeah. Okay, cool. And so, um, you know, in the same way we talk about it being better to give than to receive, a lot of these adults will tell you that some of the greatest time in their life was starting with a group of six freshman boys, right? And then walking them through that freshman year and then enjoying it so much saying, I'm going to do it the sophomore year, junior year, and senior year. And I could, we could pick up the phone now. I could start calling. And I could probably call oh, 30, 40 or more adults that walked through at least four years, like all of high school wow, with, with a handful of kids. Now, are they kids that they knew? Did you pair it? How did we you... would pair them up often by school or geography because it so was the kids e- knew each so other. So the kids knew each yeah, other yeah. and it made them more likely to want to hang out and it made it easier to all get together because they all lived in the same place. Okay, area, same right? cross junior, like you said. Right, yeah. <laughs> And so, um, and the adults, you know, and some of the times the kids were squirrely and some people like, oh my God, this, you know, this leader is going to kill this kid because the kids, you know, behavior issue, whatever. But man, the idea of just perseverance and long suffering and hanging in there and trying to love a kid unconditionally. And now, I mean, I'm, I'm watching kids on f- Facebook, kids from my youth group that I remember when they were freshmen turning 50. That's great. And I'm seeing them celebrating with their other 50 year old friends and their kids from the youth group. Whoa. Still together. Still, still together. Still now, I'm not saying it's because of the youth right. group. I mean, they were already at Corona Mar High School together, let's say. And maybe they would have been together. But I guarantee you, if we could get some of them on here, they would tell you that these youth group moments, taking a week during Easter week and going down to Mexico and living in tents and doing vacation Bible schools for these little Mexican children in the Mexicali Valley changed their life, changed these CDM kids' lives. Yeah, that's like a, they're these big moments. It's like it gives you a lot more meaning than a lot of the time in your life generally. Yeah. We have kids. Um, I know a bunch of them personally that their family would say, oh, let's, you know, don't go to Mexicali this year for Easter break. We're going to go to Hawaii or we're going to go to Mammoth. And the kid's are like, heck no, mom, I'm, I'm not going to Hawaii for family vacation. I'm not going to Mammoth. I'm going to Mexicali with my friends, with youth group to yeah. go live in the tent and, you know, live right. in the dirt for a week. Mexico is cool. Right? Love, there's cool wildlife, you know? Yeah, I know. Right. Yeah. But it's just amazing because it, it didn't register right to a lot of sometimes to Orange County parents. Like what, why, why would you want to give this up? But for the kids, it was it was something that money couldn't buy. Some of the best things in life are right. things that money can't buy, they right. say. Right. What so what do you think held that those groups together? Well, we worked really hard to break the stereotypes that people had about church is that it was irrelevant, made them feel guilty, boring, and asked for money. And so youth group, we might talk about money, but we didn't ask for them to have to give money and make them feel guilty about it. And we tried to never make it boring. We tried to surprise them. We tried to make it fun. We did things that most of the time you would go, they do that in youth group. I mean, we would do stupid stuff. We had guys from the Tustin football team and we would put all kinds of junk that you wouldn't want to eat in, in, uh, you know, a raw fish, cinnamon, vanilla, chocolate pudding in a blender, right? Mm. And blend it all up. And then the first kid make. that can drink it, his team wins, mm. right? Yeah. You know, stuff like that, yeah, like right? Make. And kids are go, just going crazy laughing because it's gross, but it's funny. And it was just mostly, we weren't so much trying to do that because we thought that was so cool and trying not to be church. We just had to work that hard to help undo so often the stereotype that church is not fun. You had to like make it super fun in a way. And right. And just, crazy and out yeah. of the box and out of this world and zany. And right. It was like, the eighties too. So yeah. yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, it, it, 
the church certainly has lost a lot of its uh, power or like, you know, or just automatic power in people's mm-hmm. lives that it used to be like in the sixties. I mean, didn't everyone go to church nowadays? Most people don't. Right. right. Yep. Yeah. And that's a growing population. So yeah. So we worked hard to make it and then to make it relevant. Um, at the end of each talk that the main guy, Doug gave, he would say some things to think about. Let's pray. And it was cool. It was like, not some things to make you feel bad about, not some things to worry you. No, some things to think about, right? We were here to help young people think. Even he would do a sex series and he'd say, we don't want to tell you what's wrong or right. We want to teach you what's smart. And again, kids like, wait, wait, aren't you, I'm at church. Aren't you supposed to just shame me? Tell me what I'm not supposed to do. Make me feel bad about it. And Doug turned it, you know, that all upside down. Said, no, let's teach kids smart. Let's educate kids. Well, in a lot of ways, he's being more honest. You know, those like, are you trying to make me feel guilty? That's just like an easy way of not even checking it out. I think those are sort of like discrediters that people. For sure. I mean, there's a lot of guilt in Christianity, but it's not. Right. It's not the whole story. Didn't have to be. And we weren't doing that. Right. And so, um, so I would say what made it fun. It's all those things. It was, it was fun. It was relevant. We were very relational. We went to where the kids were. We didn't expect kids just to come to church. I worked hard almost every lunch period. Me and other staff would take vans to each high school on different days of the week for our freshmen and sophomores who didn't have cars. And they would come pile in the church van and we would take them to lunch so they could leave campus. That's cool. It makes, that makes Christian kids look cool. Right. So Tuesday I was at Irvine high Wednesday. I was at like at uni Thursday. I was at CDM Friday. I was at Woodbridge and the kids always knew and they would just pile in the van. They'd bring their friends. We'd run quickly to get them food and turn around and come right back. Man. So it was about spreading a new idea of church kind of and and making it not. And by having to make it not boring, it was fun. It was fun. like it wasn't. Yeah, yeah you were. Right. Yeah, that's and I cool. think we were pretty. Re- I, I I say we were real and authentic, and we tried to teach kids something um, lasting. Yeah. You know? So I mean, maybe we'll talk a little bit, you know, uh, about this throughout we go. So what were what was your motivation at the time? Were you trying to build a community? Were you trying to save people? Were you trying to give, or did you feel like God was telling you you sh- you were called to this? Is I guess the way you put it. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, the, the quickest or the first answer that comes to my mind is I wanted to be like Randy. Randy was my high school youth pastor during my freshman through junior half of my senior year. Um, I, I moved out of the area, but, um, Randy was an adult who gave a rip about me. Got it. You know, he was an adult that was cool. Meaning, um, I watched him play basketball. He was athletic. We played in some basketball leagues together. He was very athletic, but he was not showboaty. He was humble and he, always, he smiled. He was competitive, but not really competitive. Like he didn't really care if we won or lost, which as a 17 year old bugged me. Right. Cause yeah. I really was like, Randy play harder. We were supposed to win, but he still played hard, but he still played hard enough. Right. Yeah. And I could tell he, and he was very talented, but it was never about that. And it really got my attention. Like it messed with my head and he would come and watch me play my basketball games come to my games. Oh, cool. And then on Friday nights, we would sometimes he'd get a few of us guys, we'd jump in his Volkswagen and we'd go to other kids in the youth group and go toilet papering. Not uh-huh. to be mean, but it was fun at yeah, that time, right? Like it was a, just a fun. And yeah. then if we got caught, we'd go help clean it up. And the next right, week, yeah. <laughs> next week we'd get his house or the week after he'd get my house, right? Um, early mornings, one week, one um, day a week, we would often have an early morning and be Bible study. He would come, he would go to the donut store and have donuts waiting for us. And it was before school just to kind of inspire us before we started our day that day at school. And I just thought, man, he was an adult who seemed like he had found a way to live a meaningful life. And I wanted to find, I thought I could find some meaning in my life being an adult in the lives of 
kids as well. And then when I discovered, see, with Randy, though, it was just we had a small youth group, maybe 20 kids. So it was it was enough for him. He could almost do it all. We had just a few right, adults. Right, right. But when I started to see a mega church model, it really, in a wonderful way, challenged me to think, how do you impact 200 kids? And that's when I saw, oh, it's like the law of multiplication. You look at investing your life into leaders, right? Like leadership development. And if you invest in leaders, then those leaders invest in the kids, kids the way you, right? they're almost like. And so during that time in those 80s, when I stumbled into that, it really began to help wire me towards things larger. And the idea of multiplication, leadership development, training and equipping, and working ourselves out of jobs, teaching others to do our job, not out of fear that there wouldn't be a job for us, but trusting there would always be more work to do. And the idea of getting someone else to take our job meant we were uh, training and equipping well. Got it, right. You're, right. It's supposed to be a system that like changes and has new right. people kind of come. And to be honest, that's if we follow the model of Jesus, he talked about making disciples. And they said the true test of a disciple was a disciple could make disciples who made disciples. Ah. So a disciple, you didn't know somebody really was a good disciple until like two or three generations, so to speak, later until they had reproduced themselves into someone who could reproduce themselves into someone. Got it. Like a, yeah. Right. Like a vampires. Well, yeah, vampire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. No. Be a good vampire. Yeah. Right? I mean, well, yeah, that's uh, a, yeah. and it's, you know, and unfortunately MLM sort of rips, takes that model. MLM, what's that? Multi-level marketing. Oh yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. And says, Oh, you go get four friends and you get four friends and you know, that's Jesus did it. Right, right. For those of you listening, this is a multi-level marketing podcast. Yeah, Kindness Rising is a new MLM coming soon to a neighborhood they, near you. They call it network marketing mm-hmm, now. Mm-hmm. That's the fun one. Yes, yeah. right. So just anyone out there who wants to not get bored at someone's house <laughs> yes. for an evening of uh, infused water. Anyway, uh, so okay, so that's so. Uh, so you're at the mega church that was called South South Coast Community. South Coast Community, and then from there it merged. I, it it um the this leadership went through transitions. I won't go into all those details now. If people were there, they know what all went down. Yeah, a lot of leadership stuff, and my job got terminated because the position got cut because of budgets. Mariners heard about me. They were down the road. They were only about 1,200, but they were growing. A lot of it was transfer growth because people were leaving quickly out the back doors of south coast and i ended up at mariners the youth group was maybe 50 or 60 kids and i got to watch and be a part of the growth of that as not the full high school pastor but like the director who i reported to the number one guy who was the high school pastor okay his so name was spencer you're like a vp, um, VP yes of, i was of vp of high group. school ministry yeah yeah, yeah okay yeah. cool cool and it was great it was a great experience and um spencer understood the value of working himself out of a job and within a year or two he was moving on to adult ministry and handing the baton over to me to be the high school pastor. And then pretty soon handing the baton for me to be the youth pastor, overseeing the junior high pastor, overseeing high school ministry myself as high school, and then overseeing the college pastor. And so you were, that means, that you, so did you preach or? I, um, I would still, was only pre, I was preaching to high school students and the adult, and the adult volunteers, but I wouldn't, every, maybe once a year I might do something in what they call the adult service or big church. The Sunday, yes. Yeah, but so. I still had not really ever found my way into no preaching and I hadn't ever fully done seminary. I'd done Bible college or, you know, Vanguard got a degree in youth ministry and sociology, but hadn't taken a bunch of preaching classes had really just learned on the job at the mega church. Got it. And so you were there. So then as you started small and then kind of ended up taking over the whole youth group, was it, uh, the same sort of thing where you were training people or were you more in charge of? So what was cool at the high school, uh, Pastor, we had about, again, about 40 adult volunteers. Then they also let me hire four interns 
and I got to help train interns for a year. Oh, that's cool. And those interns would take different areas of ministry, and it was part of their training and development to see if they might be called into full-time ministry. And they, I had some really strong, dynamic guys and gals as interns that really, in a wonderful way, stretched me. And I hope you know I got to stretch and develop and invest in them for their future calling. And they were in college or? They were uh, college, yeah, yep. okay, college cool. or almost right out of college. So kind of the same, sort of the same internship age yep. you did. That's, yep. that's cool. Yeah, and then around that time I had gotten married, married my, uh, my, my wife. It, I had met her through the youth group. She was a volunteer in the youth group. Her family was at Mariners. And then um, we bought a house in Costa Mesa. And within a couple of years, I was starting to feel um, the tug to take what I loved, not just about youth group, but what I loved about Mariners as a whole, its model of kind of mega church, making an impact in a community of like Newport Beach and Irvine, like Mariners was doing and began to wrestle with what if I took that same model and brought it into Costa Mesa. And I realized that what I was asking myself is, huh, I wonder if I could plant a church, which that had not been on my radar. Um, My mentors, Doug and others had, had been lifetime youth guys, and that was a big enough calling for me. But I couldn't escape that when I would drive through Costa Mesa, there would be this um, tug on my heart for um, people. Because there wasn't like a central church in the way that Mariners was for Newport in Costa Mesa. People, no, in up in North Costa Mesa and older was Rock uh, was uh, Calvary Chapel. Calvary Chapel, but not. But, but by then, those people had grown. You know, Calvary Chapel had been already maybe 30, 40 years old. So those people were all growing up and older. Got it. There was um, a new, but, new blood church. Yeah, there was um, a church. Now it's called the Cross. And it was called Newport Mesa Calvary Church, Newport Mesa, and it was doing good things. But I just believed. Costa Mesa was a hundred thousand people, right? And and that and we would reach from some Huntington. And, was you the know, cross the one that was off the fifty five? Yes, like the big onion they, or whatever. Yeah, they weren't there Harley. yet. Then they ha- they had a little property in Eastside Costa Mesa. Okay, and then a few years after Rock Harbor launched, they were able to buy that land and cross over Newport oh, Boulevard. Yeah. That's how I got the name, the Crossing. The Crossing. Also the uh, the cross. Yeah, you might have. Yeah, you, Jesus was on a cross at one point in his career. Right. That's that's true. We're going to cut that. <laughs> um, okay, cool. So then, well, maybe so, that's the most important part of his career, yeah, his calling. And yeah, it's, uh, Some that's, would argue, that's, right? what, most, that's yep. what most people want me to agree in that's, order to get into the club. That's right. Uh, so and so that so when you said plan a church, for those of people who don't know what that means, that, that literally means, and for me finally realizing it now, it's like that means starting a church completely from scratch, like not even coming in to revamp. This isn't Kitchen Nightmares. You know, you're not coming in and starting. Correct. You're starting from literally... I have nothing but my own hopes and dreams, pocket Absolutely. full of dreams. Yep. And they warned the me. It was cool. The Ken, Kenton, the the senior pastor at Mariner said, you'll be going with a without a parachute, which means if it doesn't work, you crash land. Ah. He was a real gentle guy. That's a, you know, uh, no, I, he, you know, he just told it straight. He wanted me to know that, you know, I had a really good, some ways we call it a cush job at Mariner's. I mean, it was a great job. I was liked there. Uh, you know, I could have done that a long time being the youth pastor. But there wasn't like a sense like this could all go under if you guys, there's no like, you know, it's already a machine that's sort of working. You just had to make it better. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's the youth pastor job. Yeah. You just keep loving on kids. And I knew the model and I had been trained well and had great resources and, you know. But being the center of a whole thing is very, like 10,000 times more responsibility. Yeah. And I found out later his dad had actually tried to plant a church or had taken over a church. Kenton's dad back years ago in Costa Mesa. Oh, wow. And he just talked about how hard it was. He talked about, oh, it's not fertile ground. It's hard ground, man. You're going to toil and sweat and die in Costa Mesa if you do that. Like he literally saw me once we had announced Costa Mesa. Mr. Bishore, Doc, they call him Doc. He goes, what are you thinking? That's You're going to die in Costa Mesa. So people were not... 
or you had some support, but it was, was, yeah, was there a lot of people that thought you were crazy or, you know, it would be fun to take a survey, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sure some of my closest people in my life thought I was, was crazy. My, you know, my dad, bless his heart was like, well, what if it doesn't work? You know, Mr. Mr. Yeah. Mr. Uh, in some ways supportive, but he was a realist. Right. Yeah. And, and I get that. Um, I didn't sweat that as much. You know, it goes back to, I think just how I'm wired as a starter. And I just believed in, doing it well enough that if it were to work and I could do it as an authentic outpouring of just me and this team, that it would be, it would be good enough and big enough for whoever it was meant to be. And it, and even if it was maybe only 60 or a hundred people, like just to crunch the numbers, like as far as a paycheck for myself, which I did have to worry about well, yeah, yeah. It being a married person was, um, you know, yes, we, I think it could support me. And Mariners gave us a, a lump sum, or they committed to my salary for 18 months, wow, that's which was awesome. giving us a running start. They also took what they called a love offering, which was they just passed a plate on behalf of, in front of everybody in the church and said, hey, this is for Keith and Gina and Rock Har- this Rock Harbor church they're planting. I think they raised like sixty or $70,000. Wow, so we could buy So we could buy gear, you know, so all the sound wow, gear yeah, and tech yeah. gear and rent for the first number of months wow. for a facility. So yeah, it was... So you did have support, but then, I mean, people are always, like you said, the realists. You got, or at least they're asking yeah, the question, what right. happens if you fail? Because yeah. if the answer is, I'm going to have to kill myself, then you should right. maybe not try. Yeah, but yeah, if the answer is, well, we'll try. I'll figure it out. Yeah, it's like you if know? you find out that the worst thing is just you fail and it didn't work, I mean. Yeah, and I tell people, man, I, you know, don't take it lightly and don't do it um, unless you know you can't not do it. Like, don't, th- I, I might, you know, I just might throw this against the wall and see if it sticks. Like, I wouldn't recommend that any type of starting, right? Unless it's just a side thing. But if you're going all in on something like I was leaving my job, you right? make sure it's your all in. Yeah. Then I had to make, I had to really say, am I really willing to do this? Even if I, even if I fail, even if I embarrass myself, even if it sucks, you know, is this a big enough risk? And yeah, that actually makes you weigh it more because in reality it should take your precedent over what you got going on if you're trying to change. And I will say this, I won't, again, I won't go into all detail. Somebody have to buy the book later of the yeah. Keith Page yeah. Rock Harbor story. Um, but Mariners did, you know, do take a couple of sort of litmus tests to make sure I was, I did have the, the, the metal in me to be a starter. They had me start a couple things while I was there, new things Oh God, so to see if I was able at organizing people, casting a vision, rallying people, launching something. And so I did. I launched a ministry called Gen X Ministry in 1995. And, you know, 80 people showed up, a couple hundred people after a year or two. And when I left, we were able to hire somebody full-time to take over that also. And so you already, you're, so this was just like maybe another scale and then, and also planning a church that's not involved. And so right. was the idea that they would be involved though? It's not competition, the, right? Right. The, the, you mean the Gen X group? Or sorry, the, um, the, the Mariners? church, or Mariners and the Costa Mesa church. Oh, and Rock Harbor. Yeah, Rock Harbor. Yeah. So the idea was there was, um, we would be sort of a daughter church of Mariners locking arms together to say, let's reach Orange County together. Got it. So they knew some people might go, but they didn't. You know, the, the statistics and the stories were that, yes, uh, sometimes some pioneering families from the what's called the mother church might come with the church planter. But after a year or two, they're usually pretty tired because they're used up. Yeah. And then they go back kind of to the mother church and, and rest up. Once it's kind of things are. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and I think some of that happened. Um, and then some people came and, and stayed, you know, because we 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 grew, you know, uh, fairly quickly and had enough. I think it was a lot to do to the training from my days at South Coast, Mariners training, my wiring that we were able to, uh, we, we made a lot of people came and I don't know how we that happened exactly. I can't put a finger on that, 
but um, God did it for sure. Social media ads that didn't exist at right, the time. Right, yeah, pre-social media. So, um, but what I can say is my ability to also think about um, a structure, again, like that leadership structure of having a whole leadership structure to hold all the volunteers that wanted to get involved. You know, I was able to build this whole team and the team could hold the volunteers and the volunteers could hold all the people. So it was like a healthy structure. And as we grew, we were able to retain a ton of our growth. And fast forward, by the time we were four years old, we were a couple thousand people every Sunday. And I was preaching at 9 a.m., 11 a.m., 5 p.m. and 7 p.m. And we had a healthy budget and 20 something staff. And, you know, it felt like a living church. It was. Yeah, it was. It was great. In fact, at the six month mark, we got to forgive. We got to go back to Mariners and say, look, we don't need the next year's salary. You can stop paying that. Use that to launch another church somewhere because Rock Harbor and our church families are going to own my salary early in advance. So it's like self-sufficient at this point. Self-sufficient. Yeah. Don't need to live at home anymore, mom. Right. right. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Mother church. Or I can start paying rent. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's, more, that's more realistic in California where you might yeah. be listening, where it's $9,000 for a half of one bedroom now. It's not that bad. Uh, all right, cool. So then where, so that, so at your Mariners or your Rock Harbor for four years. So that you took that from literally nothing to a 4,000 person church in four years. Yep. Great team. You know, yes, I did it, but it was, you know, yeah, yeah, not right. you. I yeah. single-handedly yeah, planned I this did church. this. Look at me, you know, it's the mouse and the, uh, and the elephant walking across the bridge and the mouse turns to the elephant and said, you know, damn, look what we did. Right. You know, <laughs> the elephant winks like, yeah, sure. I'm the mouse. Yeah, it was yeah. our team, man. It was the elephant. It was amazing. Well, that's like a good metaphor for planting a church, not building a church, because you could build the church on your own, but a tree, there's some sort of like letting it grow naturally that I think groups have to, you know. Yeah. All right. So then, uh, yeah, that was, so what was the next organization you were a part of? So I, um, gosh, that I started? Or not that, or I guess, uh, so uh, you left, you ended up leaving Rock Harbor. 2001. Uh, Fall of 2001. When it was still going, you know, you didn't leave because it didn't dissolve. It's it's still a huge It was going strong. I just had to go through my own growth curve. And anybody that knows me knows that story. We'll we'll deal with it some some podcast. So, uh, and then, so you found yourself uh, leaving your role and were you finding other groups, other churches that you went to or? Um, I, I, you know, there wasn't, um, I didn't find a church that I could really plug into or that I wanted to plug into. And I just needed some season of not plugging in. But I, I started to find, I think through my own season of kind of personal growth, I was jumping into counseling and self-help groups and 12-step communities. And I was starting to attract, um, you know, in some ways people would say the misfits. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll start Rock Bottom. And I did start a nonprofit called Rock Bottom, but I didn't really start a full-blown community that we were going to meet every week. I just did some some self-help groups. But we, they weren't big promotional. It was more underground. And it was just that event, that one group. It, was it just, wasn't to right. be a... And yeah. it wasn't to be a, a thing, right? Um, and that was... It was a nice season. It was a nice season. Uh, my girls were, you know, growing up. Uh, my marriage was being, you know, re-kind of birthed in some good ways. And so that was from 01 to, you know, gosh, 07, 8, 9, 10. Yeah, I mean, for, you know, probably a decade. Okay. I, I've started a little thing. It didn't last long, but we called it Pancake Church. Hey. And uh, we were meeting some other families that weren't going to church on Sundays, but people were missing the, the fellowship aspect. And it was in the fellowship aspect that we said, well, what if we made pancakes together and call it Pancake Church? And then we uh, tell a Bible story to kind of the kids, but let the adults listen in also. And I don't know, in a few no, weeks, in a few weeks, we had like 40 or 50 people come over to our home again. 
That's... You know, we were sort of like, oh my God, what have we done? Right. It, Did it feel then we, like you were doing the old thing? Well, yeah, because again? then we couldn't miss. Like we, we sort of had to be there. Right. But everybody, so many everybody else could come and go. So everybody else could come and go as they went. But when you're the person leading it every week, you kind of have to be there. And all of a sudden it's like, oh shit, we, you know, got it we, again. we, we got to do this again. Yeah. Yeah. As someone who hosts a weekly open mic. That yeah, yeah. You know, it's, right. yeah, you got The show must go on as they say. Right. So, uh, yeah. So pancake church, you know, it wasn't really something I started and, and built. Um, so yeah, that was kind of, that was kind of that. P3. Oh yeah. So P3 was a, um, that was one of what we call, it was like a, a men's, uh, purity group. Oh God. And that was sort of through rock bottom. God. Um, it was just a group of guys and we discovered that, you know, men need to have safe places to talk about being men and all of the opportunities and challenges and obstacles and where's a place to be honest and not feel judged. There's a men's, like it men's was, group, kind of a men's group, men about just, being male menness. Yeah. And how do we find a place where there's honesty, but lots of grace, um, and people, men can just get better. And so that was an amazing thing that thing still happens privately in some places here in Orange County. God, you're not involved. I, I'm not as involved. I'm yeah. not involved in it per se. They call, I think they call me the Godfather or something. Right. Like, oh, we got to get, you know, they sometimes call Godfather. We're going to lunch. Can you come join us? It's a show. That's, that's yeah. cool. How yeah. and so that, but it, so it's, that's cool that it's still going even with, that's what they say is a level five leader is that the, the organization they start can still do fine after they're gone. Yeah. That's yeah. The, Rock Harbor grew after I left for many years and it's had like a lot of churches downtime, but man, they've hired again and they're, they're up and running. And so I'm, I couldn't be more thrilled to see, you know, these things, these things flourishing. And so then the next group now, uh, we're not going to get a ton into your background beliefs, but, uh, you were, uh, you were Christian for a lot of this that we were talking about. When did you kind of switch to a more secular humanist? And did that change the nature of the organizations that you got involved in? That is a really good question. I, um, yeah, I, I guess, you know, in some ways, again, we'll probably do a whole nother podcast on this in detail, but I would just say it, it's been feeling like, um, as my work around, um, re, you know, out of the church. So out of, after rock Harbor, I do recovery work. And then I run across some really cool LGBTQ churches okay. that are focusing on ministering with and to, and as LGBTQ community. Um, I also do some trips to India and my heart is beginning to be, uh, beat more and more towards the, the broader world that I didn't know as much about because of where I lived and where I served and how I lived my life. Right. And, um, and then also my, um, my dad died in 09 and then my, I went through a divorce 2011 and my mom died 2012. So that was a lot of season of grief. Yeah. And what I find is once I go through some stuff, I tend to want to leverage it as an instrument of hope and healing for others. Got it. Yeah, Much cool. like my experience at rock Harbor, I launched rock bottom to help others who were hitting bottom in their life. God, and okay. I start P3 as a way to help other guys be, you know, honest, you know, men that are trying to find growth and healing. Right. And so I go through this grief stuff. And then um, a friend of mine named Ty had been a funeral celebrant. And he said, Keith, it's for families that don't have a priest, a rabbi, uh, a minister in their lives, but they are doing funeral. They need somebody. The family wants someone to do the funeral. They might want it to still be spiritual, but it's less about a dogma or a sermon. And it's more about interviewing the family and then telling their loved one's story. And I was like, that's amazing. Like, you know, so around 2014, I start doing that and that grows. And by, I don't know, within a few years, I was up doing about 50 a year. 
So how did you do that with a company or just do that kind of word of mouth? So or? I went through a training and in that training, I ran, a, I met a guy who owned, was one of four owners of O'Connor Mortuary. His name's Jeff Turner down in Aliso in Laguna Hills. Okay. He knew of me in my previous life as a Rock Harbor pastor. And he's like, wait, are you Keith Page from Rock Harbor? I go, yeah. He goes, my kids go to your church oh, or cool. your old That's church. Great. He's like, so are you available to do, you know, be a celebrant? I said, I sure am. Yeah, he's like, why don't you come do it for us at O'Connor? And so you just do it like when the family comes with the body or, or well, uh, yes, serve cat. What do you call? We don't even do you, know all the words to say, right? When you the casket? Buy a funeral. I mean, it's funny. My grandfather was a funeral director, but I guess what I'm asking is, a, are you included in the funeral package? Is that what it's? it can be? Right. So they have almost like, I forget what it's called, but it's not their sales team, but it's their staff, their care staff, right? When the person, when a family walks into the mortuary. And they begin to ask, what did your, you know, did you talk with your mother about the type of service she wanted? Got it. And they start to say, well, not a church, but we, you know, and then O'Connor would say, well, we have a, a fellowship. We have a gathering space here, right? It's our chapel or whatever. Um, and so our auditorium. And so the family say, yeah, we want to use the auditorium. And then, then the people might say, well, was your mom involved in a church? Oh, no, mom didn't really go to church, but... And they said, well, do you do, well, we sort of do, you know, and they, the family might hem and haw, and they said, well, we don't know if we want really a pastor or not, right? Just because of their own beliefs. So then the, the care staff person says, oh, well, we have what's called a celebrant. They're an expert at leading a ceremony. Many of them maybe are past clergy people, but they are more into tribute stories now and not theology or dogma or sermons. And they, it's come. about the person, not about where they're in. Cause like a lot, of, I've been to Catholic funerals where it's like, it's like he's with Jesus now. And that's mostly what we're, we're still at church folks. Right, it's like, right, right. you know, it's not about the person as much. Right. Absolutely. And so I, um, I think I went and watched Ty do one or two, you know, and then I also watched him interview a family. I got to, and I just thought, I think I could really, this could be really cool. And I started to do it. And the more I did it, the more I, I would sit with families and, you know, let's, let's be honest. If the family's super Catholic or super Christian or very Jewish or, and they're very involved in their faith and they probably have a religious person to help them with that service. Right. Yeah. Right. But it's when they didn't that I would, they would, you know, I would get hired. And when I would go and meet with the person, I mean, meet with the family, they would talk all about this amazing person. And oftentimes they wouldn't say whether the person was Christian or Catholic but they didn't say they were a terrible sinner. They just talked about their human qualities. God. And I found that to be a natural way for me to say, look, I'm not going to make your loved one a saint and I'm not going to make them a sinner. Those aren't words you've used to describe them or not them. You've let's, you've made them very human. As we spent 90 minutes together, you telling me all about them. I'm going to humanize them. Right. And we're going to just do this amazing celebration that, that walks people down memory lane right? Almost like a beautiful written eulogy. And if I'm sitting with the family and the family's laughing through some of these fun stories they're telling me about their mom and the funny stuff she did, I'm catching that and I'm writing down those funny stories. Then I'm going to tell those funny stories and we're going to laugh together. How long is each service usually that you do? The service I do, when you add all of it, because there's a video often, there's people okay. share that get up after I do the eulogy and it's probably an hour to an hour and a half. Or so your, but your eulogy that you write is about It could be 15 to 30 minutes depending on the, the backstory. That's a lot of writing as a yeah. performer. That's a lot to have yeah, to write in a right. week or two. Yeah, it is. It yeah. is. So did you find, a, so I got, when you were a pastor, did you do funeral work where people would come to you after they died? At, were, were you that guy? Yeah, it's funny people. because I didn't want to be that guy. I, I, I don't think I was prepared as a pastor to know what to do around grief and death. Wow, yeah. 
it's a know, big top. A lot of people are there for the heaven part. And so it's right. kind of, the, it's kind of the uh, big, big part of it. I remember as a youth pastor, you know, I was 27 or 28 and a kid, a, a kid, not super associated, but a kid that had visited our youth group did die. And he was like, um, middle Eastern, but family was secular Muslim, but they asked me to lead the funeral. And I, it was the first one I ever did. Wow. And it wasn't at a gravesite. It was like a community hall. But I remember going, I don't know how these people, I hadn't had, you know, loved ones around me die yet. No experience with death. And, and so I felt unprepared, right? Or fake, like you couldn't, did you feel like you were putting on a little bit? Like, Well, yeah, I just didn't know how to feel. I didn't know, yeah. and I didn't know, you know, um, I didn't know how much to try to offer them. Here they were in pain because their loved one died. But pastors, often we have to get up and give them the hope of the eternal eternity, which didn't, this, in some way, does that, help them heal or does that band-aid their right numbs their, it. it's just like pain. oh don't worry about it right it's he's fine. in a, you know the old he's in a better place or god wanted him up there i mean stuff that people hate now i'm finding people hate to hear right. someone yeah. else say to them when they're grieving yeah. you know the lord just needed him more right i mean it's just it's crazy how yes. insensitive any of us can be to others especially in a time of loss and grief not because we mean to be but because we don't know what to say, how to show up. Yeah. We just right? kind of, I think that's the truth. It's like a friend of mine we're talking about. It's like some people don't have like the, there's no context. So people behave, they just say weird stuff because they like think they're supposed to say it. It just makes right. people behave strangely yep. at the very least. Yeah. Okay. So then you were, so that was the, so you were doing that completely on your own. You're basically a one, you know, that's a pretty lone position going around meeting with family. So what was the next community group that you were involved in? So um, after my, after my divorce, I did um, come across this cool building that we're sort of in now, part of where we're in now. Oh, it's wow. called, it was called The Loft over here in Westside Costa Mesa, and it's about a three or 4,000 square foot space, and I would office there. Okay, so The Loft was, so that's funny. I think you, you would just, I met you during COVID or right before COVID, so The Loft was something that you used to do more, and so we're in part of what it was, The Loft, right? Yes. Yeah, we're in 109. The loft was 108, and it was basically an event space, office okay. and, and event space. And we would host um, some music stuff, some um, health and wellness stuff, some yoga classes, some gong ceremonies. Some, and you had office space here, and, you said? People? And there was some office space in the loft. The loft okay. had some small cutout offices also. Okay. So it's both office. It was like a shared co-office space co-working and the center area we would use for events. And were they related to a church or religious or some, sometimes churches would come and rent it out sometimes just groups. And so I just formed this band of friends and we just started doing loft events. Oh, so you just, you got the space originally just because you needed a space, but yeah, and then the community idea started to, yeah, I think I was missing, right. Even though I was doing funerals, what I missed most was community. Yeah. Bringing people together. Yeah. And I think, you know, we didn't ask, but what held Rock Harbor together? Yeah, yeah. You know, I think it was um, this commitment to something was happening that we couldn't put our finger on, but it's, there seemed to be this growth and excitement for including others, uh, people's needs being met, people feeling a sense of belonging, people being plugged in, opportunities to use their gifts, people growing. Very fertile ground. Yeah. It was just like, yeah. it life, was hot. You know, it yeah, felt. it was just life change, you know, dynamic yeah. music. There was something emotional, spiritual that was happening on Sundays when four or 500 people packed into the Costa Mesa Senior Center worshiping together and this dynamic music with dynamic worship leader named Todd. I mean, it was, it was really phenomenal. Like it felt modern in that it resonated really well. And like, and that's, I think, I think so. what the goal of church is, is it doesn't, you know, if you change it from the tradition and it gives people more of what the feeling, then isn't that better? Right. You know, at the end of the day. Okay. So yeah. then, so the loft, you guys did events for, so what year was the, the loft? So I, I mean, I got the loft 2010 or 11, just as oh, I wow. was, you know, um, 
but it slowly had to evolve into the different things we were using it for. We did yeah. some stuff. We didn't do some stuff. You know, it wasn't once again, because I didn't form a set community. It was sort of hit or miss. Right. Things were just right. It was just a space that didn't have any intention. Really, right. just kind of. I, kinda, I met a guy for a year. He was really into health and wellness, and was a ultra runner and a vegan. And for a year, he hosted once a month, the first Wednesday of the month, we called Wellness Wednesday, and he would bring yeah. in some kind of wellness expert, and we would pile in 30, 40, 50 people into the loft. Okay, and just kind of have it. And he also had a band, so we would do some light. He brought in, did some jazz stuff or some. You oh, know. Okay, so it was like an yeah. event space. Yeah, so because it's funny, I met you, I think, right after COVID, and it, that kind of stopped around COVID. Yeah, right. in the midst of COVID, we just thought, okay, this is you know, getting expensive and we weren't sure what was happening with event spaces and COVID. So right. no future, there was no uh, way to predict right. how long. I looked at it as a time to just kind of like, okay, the loft has sort of run its course. Um, it's time to. And you, you know, felt like you'd already kind of done what you did. It's yeah. not like you'd. It stopped right before it got off the ground. It's like you're like we did, right. we did that. Yeah, we, yeah, I really did, really did. Run and how course. many people would you say different throughout the years kind of came through? Like maybe, gosh, a few hundred at least. Yeah, but it was know? probably like maybe less than a hundred people at one time. But throughout, yes, the, okay, right. so that's. Really and I will say this: I also did try for anybody that's following me along knows that in 2011 um, I did launch Reclaimed Church. Oh, okay. And that was um, here at the loft. We did it for four or five years, and it was our attempt, me and a guy named Glenn and a guy named Ty, were trying to embrace spirituality, the LGBTQ community, the teachings of Jesus, and um, less structure and less religious dogma beyond that. Sort of Jesus is for all people that want him and that want to follow him. And regardless of what's happening in your life, what you've been through, or how you identify, in life, um, Jesus is for you, and we wanted to reclaim church for that group of people. Oh, okay, so and it was cool. It was you know, it was never let's call it never big numerically, but I think it was important for a number of us who were trying to figure out where church and spirituality was going in in our lives. Yeah, it was a safe place to be, and we met on Sundays for I think four or five years. Wow. Okay. That's yeah. Cool. So, and that dissolved just kind of naturally when people. Yep. I think just um, I think again, it would be you know me and Glenn and and often Ty, often the ones who always had to be there every week. Right. And when you don't have much critical mass, it only takes a couple of families to not be there. And it's like, oh well, should we still meet? Yeah. And when crickets. you're at the when you're still to ask, should we still meet? That's a time to just reevaluate. And we said, let's take a year off and you know and just see what happens. And I think we all. So, you know, we think it's it's run its course. And also, like, when you're dealing with an outsider community, it's like there are, by nature, less outsiders than insiders, right? You know, it's like you're not right. you're not dealing with the popular masses, like, right. little, exactly. and purposefully. Yeah, so. I think in my, in my uh, innocent or sh- naive mind that people, I thought, initially would be, wow, cool, a church for all people that embraces all of us, embraces our shadow selves, that's really honest and, you know, right. uh, might come out for that and... You know, they didn't. And timing um, is always, I mean, I think yeah. people, movements of people need church or they find different ways. Maybe the people found it in yoga or also fringe people have a little more options. I think too, it's like, you know, Christians really want to go to church. Whereas like people who are kind of on the fence, they have that or yoga or meditation, you know, so right. it's, it's a harder, it's certainly a harder group to, to get going. And so then after, so since the loft, uh, since COVID shut everything down, basically in the loft, you stopped doing that. What's. When did, when, is that when Kindness Rising started? So in this uh, 2017, 18, I began to explore like, what, 
what what am I what am, sort of what am I what am I doing you know with my life with my faith spirituality church all these things and it it did feel a bit like this um, you know I think I don't I I don't I can't point to any cause and effect but I can just say uh, deaths of a lot of things death of my role at Rock Harbor death of identity as founding pastor of Rock Harbor death of dad death of marriage death of mom you know death of income stream right Let, yeah just things yeah. these fundamental things being gone and yeah. you're still here <laughs> right and then being stripped of those uh, created some wonderful reflection about well what else is there and what still gives me meaning and um, somebody did say to me, you know, I find it fascinating that you do all these funerals, but it still feels like you're holding on to kind of what feels like I, maybe they were listening to me talk about my own sort of faith at that time. And they said kind of a dead faith. Oh. And he said, you know, have you ever thought about like doing a funeral for your faith? Oh. And that really got me thinking that that guy's name's Bart. Um, we'll probably have him on the podcast sometime, Bart, Bart Campolo. And, you know, but he had probably done some of that in his own life, in his own way. He has his own journey. Um, you know, people can check him out if they want. Um, Bart Campolo's podcast is called Humanize Me. But anyways, it just got me thinking and it began to open me up to, you know, I'll just say lots of conversations, lots of books, lots of resources, lots of podcasts. Again, maybe we can do a whole podcast on that that journey. Yeah, of, from you know, but, um, but I started reading books uh, by atheists, by agnostics, by people that were deconstructing their faith, uh, people that had written workbooks called Leaving the Fold uh, for people that were leaving cults. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, um, and, um, so it was more, it wasn't like this big moment where you're like, I got to get the hell out of here. It was just sort of like when he said that, that resonated with the feeling you kind of hadn't articulated, like you've been trying to keep like a, in a, like a romantic relationship where someone's like, Hey, are you and your wife doing okay? And you're like, actually, you're right. We aren't. Right, right, right. So it's like your spirituality didn't, it wasn't like this big moment. It just sort of had faded out and you didn't even realize it was kind of dead. Did you so. have a funeral for you? I, I, I sort of did. Yeah. yeah, I sort of did. And, um, what I did was I realized I was exhausted from in some ways feeling like I was dragging an old time religion, an old set of at least beliefs, not values. I want to distinguish between beliefs and values in a minute, but maybe an old set of beliefs. I was still sort of dragging them around and I just uh, chose to uh, release them and see how that felt. Fully, not try and keep them around and revamp them. And just not, not, fully, and not, and not apologize for it. Not feel embarrassed. Not feel sad. You know, I mean, yeah, felt sad. If, I mean, feel whatever I'm going to feel, but not manufacture like guilt or shame. Right, like let I, it be a clean experiment. I'm like, how does this actually right. make me feel? Yeah. If I leave and it? what are the what's the fruit? You know, what is how does it reveal? What what does it reveal in my life? What mm-hmm. does it develop in my life? And um, and I think along the way, it um, mostly was. Oh, so then I thought, well, I wonder if I'm, am I still me? Am I still, you know, do I still value the same values? And what I realized the values I had always held from way back early youth ministry days, you know, 25, 30 years ago was the idea of how important it was to belong to ourselves and belong to each other. So that was a key word, belong. The other word was grow, personal growth, growing in community, character. That is who personal development, is. Yeah, right? You, grow. Yeah, yeah, I want to be about growth, helping others grow, God, right? Yeah. Serving, right? This fact that we all have gifts and talents and it's good to serve. It's good to volunteer. It's good to give of our time and treasure and, you know, be involved in the planet, be involved in service to, you know, yeah, yeah. people in need. Um, and then whatever you want to call it, um, awe or wonder or the, the great X factor mystery. 
Yeah, the yeah, the the, 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 the great unknown. And I, and I was like, I guess I would have said, oh, wow, you know, Christianity or church involvement and Jesus, whatever all those words are, help you belong better, grow better, serve better, and have more awe and mystery. And I just kind of for a year or so began to play with what would it look like just to belong without, you know, those things as essential to my belonging. Like look, search the, the ends that you get without the means you're used to using. Okay. Yes. So. Um, grow without going. I got to have, you know, God won't bless me if I don't have a quiet time every day. I got to do my quiet time every day to grow, to be God's man. Okay. But it just well, make what well, it, the growth for growth sake. What if I didn't have a quiet time every day? Would, you know, lightning hit me? Would, you know. Did it? Would, <laughs> <laughs> like, no, my car broke down. That's yeah, that's it. right. Um, serving, you know, if I serve the way Jesus calls us to serve, right? And if I, if I ask every question, how would Jesus want me to serve, you know? Did you have to kind of come up with new ways or what, did you already have these, like, were you thinking of ways to serve, but your clinging to Christianity kind of got in the way? And so once that was gone, those things you had already thought about were freed up? Or did you kind of have to make up new things? I got, to, I got to start with a clean slate. Cool. So it's just yeah, like... I got to I just feel like... like who's Keith? Who, how old were you? Um, this was like 2017 or 18. Oh, okay, so yeah. So, so, so yeah. So 30, 35. Just kidding. Yeah, exactly. 22. <laughs> yeah, we're both 22. Right, early, or probably early. If that was five years ago, I'm 50. Yeah, yeah, early, yeah. early 50s. Okay, so that's... Yeah, that's... A, Right. Big time to start asking you, who am I? Who am I now? That's the real right. question. Because you know you're sort of similar, but what, right. what's still sticking around? And, and so I realized, oh, I'm still Keith. I still love belonging. And if people, if God and, and Christianity and Spirit and Jesus help people belong, right on. Just I want to help people belong to whatever it means for them to belong. I don't have to define what the what good belonging is for them. And you don't have to like not let people belong because they're belonging over Jesus, right? right? It's like belonging Absolutely. is the goal and not right get, on okay, go cool. right and grow. What helps people grow and what helps me grow and how can I inspire others to grow? And it's, you know, and serve. How can I help people serve wherever they're serving? And then how can I experience awe and wonder and mystery in my life and unpack that, right? And I'm finding it to be a fascinating experiment. And along the way, so enter kindness, I, I, the more I read, I read a book called uh, Good Without God. I found it fascinating because they talked about, the author talks about, he's the secular humanist chaplain at, I think, Yale Divinity School. Yeah, right? oh, cool. And he says, um, uh, every religion has some f- version of the golden rule, which we know as do unto others as you would want others to do unto you. Even Jesus is quoted as saying that in the the teachings of Jesus in the the New Testament, right? But every religion has some form of that. And then he goes on to say, even agnostics and atheists have declared that as part of their kind of their own mandate, because they could also do unto others as they would want others to do unto them, because no belief in a deity or God is required. Yeah, just people that have... Do unto others. You don't have to have a belief in God to do that. Yeah, that's all you need. And I was like, okay, wait. So this do unto others, this golden rule is like universal. Right. It's like, like Christians don't own that, I, that concept. Right. Okay. And so I thought, well, what's a word that sums up the golden rule for me? It doesn't have to sum up the golden rule for everybody. But for me, if I want to live the golden rule, and I was like, kindness. That's the way that you want to treat people that you, that, that's the treat and be treated word for you. Kind. Kind. To be treat people kind, kind. The way I kindness. want to be treated and without expecting things in return. Yeah, with so that was your, that's sort of the core. That so that was what was holding your way of 
collecting all these different things without the Christianity, without the Jesus behind the it. The Belongros. So, yeah, yeah. Yes. So, that's a, yeah, so I started saying, wow, I can, um, if I really want to live a life of kindness, grounded in kindness, that still helps people belong, grow, serve, and experience awe and mystery, how do I do that? Okay. I'm like, well, be, do, do good at funerals, you know? I mean, love love people doing funerals and find the people we meet at Moon Go and, you know, do things. But I began to think, wow, you know, those things can still, like kindness ha- can have its way in belonging and in growth and in serving and in on mystery. And what if I take, I've had this nonprofit, you know, organization for years and years called Global Sticky Network. And what if I just rebrand and rewrite kind of the the, the heart of it and repurpose the whole thing and relaunch as this, you know, this opportunity for me to try to inspire, model kindness in my own life, right? And then inspire and equip and give tools and resources for other people to have kindness in their life. And to Christians say, right on, I want to try to outkind other Christians. Yeah, you know, hey, other Christians. <laughs> and to non-Christians say, you know, it, I don't really care if people are Christian or not Christian. I care most that people are kind. Got it. That's right? the, that's the, the, the aim, I guess. Okay. Yeah. So kind, so kindness is a not, yeah, let's, so that's, and that's sort of where we're at, right? We're, and, and we're here starting, I guess we can talk about what we're doing with the thing, but maybe we'll save that for the end when we okay. tell people to get involved. But I, so yeah. And, and I would say this. So, and, and then as I'm reading all this, I, someone says, Oh, the Dalai Lama is quoted as kindness is my religion. I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay. That's, oh, that's so cool. You found out about that after that was, yes. God, that wasn't right. the, yeah. I was like, Oh yeah. The Dalai Lama is onto me now. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's, he's an old, he's, you know, uh, and, and you know, I mean, I just sent you a, a, a email or, or email, emailed you an article the other day from Keanu Reeves, right? And he's just quoting a bunch of, you know, the Dalai Lama and Ram Dass yeah. and it's filled with kindness. And I'm going, this, this isn't new. It's, it's old, but I just need to make it mine and need to give people permission who maybe are in a church or maybe aren't in a church or maybe are in between churches, but they, they are looking for a community and some experiences that are helping them. And if I want to live a meaningful life, me doing that for other people um, feels like a great act of kindness, helping people belong, helping people grow, helping people serve, right? And then helping people experience awe and mystery and wonder. So that's the idea is kindness, making more things kind through kindness. Yeah. By through a kind means, you know, no, <laughs> be kind if people are late. You know? <laughs> right. And so, yeah, I guess then what, what is, so uh, it's funny you mentioned Ram Dass because loving kindness is a big part of uh, Eastern. It's a type of prayer in Tibetan mm-hmm. Buddhism. And so a kind, but kind is sort of a miss. I think we use the word nice and kind very synonymously in America. And I don't think that that's accurate. I think you gave a talk about, can you distinguish the difference between like nice and kind? Cause I refer to myself as kind and not nice. I mean, I'm also polite and things like that, but kind, nice people kind of have to be kind in my, or nice, nice people have to be nice. Yeah, nice of, can be a fear, a, nice can be um, a little bit of people pleasing. Mm-hmm. It can be yeah. a little bit, a tiny bit of a mask and it can be, we haven't had the crap beat out of us enough yet to be, you know, to really, to be pissed because I think you're nice so that you don't show that you're pissed and then life beats us up. Then we're pissed and angry. And then I think as we evolve and grow, not that I am, you know, I'm so far from the person I want to be, but I think I've grown. I hope I've grown more kind because I've also been beat up through just life through aging and dumb stuff I've done or dumb stuff. Other people have done or just, you know, the journey of life. But I think I started out probably nice 
or charm, nice, charming, people pleasing, people skills. Yeah, right? it can be manipulated. Uh, it can be not manipulated. It's survival. It's just a way right. to get yeah. by. Yeah, or... yeah, get stuff. And yeah. kindness for me comes out of being um, um, hammered. <laughs> being like wasted. No, I'm just, yeah, that's yeah. Kind of <laughs> yeah, different kind of hammered. You know, life, life um, being what was I used beating the, you down? Or, yeah, or, or, I, I used the analogy of the. Um, Tender. Oh, meat tenderizer. Yeah, tenderizer that we have to be, you know, we have to be tenderized, right? And life tenderizes us so that we can become tenderhearted. And I think tenderhearted is part of, you know, the compassionate part of kindness. So do you think empathy is a big part of kindness? I think it is. I think empathy is at least allows us to feel the feelings, but then there's courage involved because courage then says act on it. Yeah, you have to, it, and yeah, to be right. to be kind is to be courageous because you don't know, if, that's the thing, you can be kind and not... Uh, be people pleasing. I think that's a different for, for sure. Because nice, I think that you're always sort of trying to be or to to not get people as mad at you or something. Feels like I'm walking on eggshells when I'm nice. Yes, yeah. There's a right when I'm kind. Eggshells. What eggshells? I don't notice eggshells. I'm showing up at, in, in a way that is hovering above eggshells. And I think it, a lot of it has to do with the, the freely giving because I think the niceness, it's it sort of puts pressure on the person to accept it. It's like, even though it might seem false, whereas like if someone's being kind to you, it's really, you got to be in a real bad place to not like accept that. I think kindness is a lot more palatable than nice or even spiritualizing. Right. Or, and if you're being nice and someone's nice nice back, not nice back, you're almost like, they weren't nice. But you know, I th- I'm trying to get to the place. I'm discovering, I'm being more aware or conscious of being kind without expecting anything in return. And even if I get the opposite, um, letting go of a, a need for that outcome. And that's what I want to get. Right. And you can uh, still maintain the kind, kind is still rolled in. And that's like a double, it, it's compassion. Right. It's like, if right. you can accept, yeah, it's like, if you don't, it's a good way to test yourself, whether you're doing things for the right reasons too. Yeah. Kind of, if it comes up. So, and I've, you know, I'm raising these two daughters and, you know, I, I got to tell you, I'm, you know, so thrilled about them because when I spend time with them um, and I hear of their lives and I talk to people, adults who know them and kids who know them, you know, I would say one of the words that often describes, you know, Avery and Alex is that they're so kind. And, and I, I love that. Right. I don't care how radically successful in whatever fields that they choose to do. I want them to love and be loved. I want them to be kind and hopefully be treated, you know, by people around them as kindness, but I just want them to show up as um, kind ambassadors to the world. And, and I think the world is better when, when kind people are in it and intentional about it. You know, Ram Dass speaking of, he has this quote that all we have, all we can give to each other is an environment. Mm. And so the idea is that your aura is sort of just like a place that you put you, it's an environment you let people exist in. And so when you're kind, I think kindness is travels well. Yes. It really, right. uh, it's right. universal people. Yeah. Cause it's, it, you, why do you think that is? It's, um, I think it's part of the human condition. I think that we have evolved as humans and the in societies and the societies that have flourished the longest and best, I think probably had some level of kindness, maybe not towards all the other, you know, tribes, but at least the, its own, there was its own tribe of care and watching out for and protection and and so that like led to success and then I, propagation i mean I, children the thing is it's funny when you 
I've been seeing so many people with little kids and a couple of my friends have kids that you forget that kids, when you only hang out with adults, you forget that kids really need a lot of kindness. Like we have, we're just to get to be a human life. You need someone to be really kind to you for like 25 years. Really? <laughs> you know, it's like we had that we wouldn't survive without kindness. And usually it comes from like specifically our mother, but you know, it's like, everybody has this debt of kindness that maybe that's it. Maybe we, we can always mm. give kindness because we've already received way more than we could Isn't ever. True. Cause like really think when you think about, about what a baby, cause your daughters right. are right. adults, you right. forget that they were, they needed some real <laughs> compassion. Right. Right. And, I think know. goodness for their mother, yeah, you know, especially good. early on. I mean, her, you know, the ability for, you know, patience and nurturing and loving presence and, you know, gentleness, right? Yeah, we, we Pers- need, right? Yeah. All that, that is bathed in kindness. Yeah, maybe that's it. It's like the idea is like we, we are, it, it has to be there in order to keep us from shaking our babies. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> right. The joke is they, they tell you not to shake your baby because you're going to want to. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's why they have to tell you. <laughs> have to, that's why there's four flyers they give you. I, uh, yeah, there were a bunch of cute kids at the coffee shop I was at today, which kids are great. You know, they, and they require um, kindness too. Cause like they're, they're all over the place and they don't know what the hell's going on. And, nope. um, and, and kids are sponges and they're also can be mirrors. Right. Yes. And so if, if they soak that up in a community of kindness, I think they're going to be more kind. That's, that's less retaliatory. Right. And all that. And then also, um, what was the other thing I was saying? Um, oh, and then their mirrors that they, they give back, you know, that if they see, if they see others do it, right. Then they they're, they're able to hopefully to reflect that yeah. if it's modeled to them. So, yeah. Yeah. Do you think, uh, cause uh, maybe when do you feel like the most, Hmm. Uh, I guess, what situations do you find yourself growing the most in kindness or where kindness helps you the most? Hmm. Or like where you, you, that was sort of a question. It's like, is there an example of like where, you know, it's, um, I, boy, still the idea of the, the driving in the freeways. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Is a, is a wonderful test because I don't know if I'm more sensitive these days, this feels like this last year or COVID has brought it out. It just feels like more people are in more of a hurry. And, um, and when I see people cutting in lanes or cutting people off, right. Right. Um, the idea of, um, my own, you know, projection, right. Of where that is in me. why they're cutting that lane. Yeah. Yeah. Making up stories or th- calling them names or feeling how to control they are, whatever that reaction is quickly causes me to, um, choose instead to say, wow, okay, I've got to, I've got to see them with kindness because otherwise I know I'm going to react because I'm like naturally react to that. Right. And so I, I do find myself thinking about kindness and saying, I want to drive in a spirit of kindness. And I just, I have to say, I have to say that and, and put my mind and body in that space to just say, I don't want to have a care in the world while I'm driving other than get to my place softly and gently and easily. And, and, and anybody else can go in front of it. Like, I just don't, I don't want, because I know I can get caught up in it and react to it. And so I just have to, um, breathe my way into a different posture in my car. And so uh, that's fine. Kindness is less reactive. It's yeah. more of, it's like yeah. a slow brain. If you're like fast brain, slow brain, oh, that term. So, uh-huh. uh, yeah, yeah. Kindness requires a little bit of, yeah, not non-react. I mean, some people react kindly, like, you know, see walking in the street or an old lady or something, right. but yeah, it does. I think it puts you in a place that's not reactive or it just makes you, 
I mean, more com- compassion and kindness are really uh, th- th- synonymous in my mind, right? Because that's the idea. It's like you said, you make up the story. You go, that guy's cutting me off because he's a jerk that doesn't care about how late I am. But in reality, you're like, that guy's probably really in having a bad day. Right. And, and just that I don't know, right? Yeah, I let it. I don't, I don't know. Um, and then I think also being around all this death and dying, you know, I do, I average about one celebration of life a, a week. I average about 50 to 60 a year. Wow. I'm also now a hospice chaplain. And so being around death, dying, loss, grief is a beautiful gift to myself to be able to be around these families. I mean, I would say they let me come around them and let me serve Definitely, them. Definitely, yeah. And by letting me do that, they are teachers to me and they're reminders of how precious life is, what a gift it is, how important it is to love the people in our life be present with them and how quickly life can change and uh, life ends, right? That we all have timelines called death in our lives and it keeps it on my radar front and center and present with me. And that invites me into a response of, well, I can either worry and fear and try to control all of my destiny, which I know is powerless. Yeah. I, I, mean, I can't really do impossible. Or I can choose to say, I, I'm going to let all of this have its way of teaching me um, or, or, developing in me this continued spirit of kindness that is a kind human holding space for other humans along the way. That's like the cultivating kindness sort of. Right. You know, it's funny you mentioned, so uh, for the listeners, I helped one of Keith's, uh, someone he did a celebration for, do a funeral slideshow for this woman, and she just actually sent me a thank you letter saying, like, you were a very calm presence, and I'm, I'm a pretty kind, and I talk about meditation it was interesting how I felt like I actually gave her more on my just being a calm person around her during a funeral rather than my video editing skills, right. which were fine. You know, did some Ken Burns pushes and pulls in on this. <laughs> you know, it's basic <laughs> editing. But yeah, it was interesting how people really need kindness when they're doing it's like it's the most, you know, it re, it's really nice to have that environment for people because especially you know, a, lot, a lot of funeral, a lot of funeral people can be sketchy and uh, right. uncompassionate and take advantage of you or just like cold. At the very least, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a coping of, device for them, right? It's, they're around it too much and they just turn numb and shut it off. And yeah, there, but so, and yeah, kindness is, uh, it really is something. It's one of those things like you can't have too much, right? They do say killing them with kindness. That's the thing, but uh, <laughs> that's, that's not, that's just guys with no game. That's right. right. Those are just, that's right. these are not nice guys of which, <laughs> of which we're not going to get into. Yeah. So, uh, let me, let me think of where to maybe take it from here. So, what we've talked about kindness rising and I, and I'll kind of maybe start talking about my involvement. You, you are bringing me in to do uh, the sort of the, the branding, the, 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 the logo. I'm doing a lot of the graphic design, but I'm trying to do more. I'm handling the, uh, I was telling Keith, it's so fascinating to try and create a symbols around how you know? How do you create a new community around something that's sort of vague, like kindness, right? Like what, our, our mm-hmm. logo is like a heart, you know. The thing there's, it's just because this word is common, but it's such a really vast uh, emotion that it's hard to you know pinpoint exactly how to express it. And so, what do you see? What is your vision for kindness rising as a? Like for the next year, maybe see, it's like, where, how, yeah. Yeah. I see us, um, being a lot of in, even though this podcast is not 
in real life. I mean, I mean, it is. I mean, we're recording it yeah, yeah, <laughs> in yeah, real everything. life, and people are listening at other times and other places. I see us beginning to offer some in real life. I think kindness really does want to penetrate, you know, best and most in real life. Yeah. And, you know, starting this month and moving on into the future, we're going to have a, a slew of events and ca- things on the calendar to give people tastes and opportunities to learn kindness, experience some kindness, model kindness, grow in kindness, right? And we're not, uh, I guess, we're trying to be a little more open, right? It's not like we have a, you eventually, you were saying, want to do a curriculum around kindness, but this we're trying to just see how can we fold things into kindness because we do stuff with death and trying to see all the way, all the things that already have kindness baked in or can be added, right? Yeah, we want to take stuff that we are doing and put it into the kind of on a kindness template, right? Of, of, you know, like your meditation. Right. Yeah. Which I'll be, I'll be doing a meditation class. That's mostly mindfulness, uh, and uh, loving kindness meditation. So we're calling it kindfulness meditation, which is a great pun for a comedian like myself. But yeah. And so that, I guess that's, so the focus is bringing awareness to kindness as this thing that we can get around. And that is important and, and is a human, uh, you know, like justice, it's one of those, it's one of the virtues, I guess. Kindness of virtue? Uh, In the book of virtues, I, I saw it at work the other day. I, sh- I should know that. Yeah, it's kindness of virtue. That. Yeah, We'll I, cut that out. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll edit in Keith's answer <laughs> on it, yeah. Um, no, yeah, it's kind of, but that's, I, I think, uh, I think it's important, especially because there's so, I don't want to sound like all the people who hate people on the news, but there's so little kindness in the world, and that might just be at the extremes, but I think kindness is very important for a culture that's trying to mesh that try for anything trying to find harmony i think kindness really helps right very very much so and so that's like that's what you know a lot of i've had some experience in the christian church and they they have a there's a there's a kindishness to the christians are very mm-hmm. i find them r- relatively trustworthy among people and so there's sort of a it is something that you can point towards in a group and know that because other people are kind of pointing towards that, that like you're probably not going to get ripped off by some Christian. Like, you know, they might think they might feel a little more judged than by them than your dumbass friends from high school. But generally I find that, so maybe growing a community of people that focus on kindness will, is that the idea of like letting people in the way that you've realized kindness is, has this magic and you're trying to cultivate it in your daily life. Is that that part of the organization, just spreading kindness? Yeah, it, it definitely is. As a like, concept? Yeah. I, you know, like you mentioned the curriculum, I, I don't have a, a formula down the road. It'd be fun to have some ideas that give people, com- you know, conversations. But in the meantime, it's just taking the things I do like a death cafe, which is the recognition that we're all finite and we're all going to one day die. And I host that once a month. And I think it's just um, it, in recognizing that we're all finite and that we will one day die reminds us to say, well, then how do I want to live? And when you start to ask the question, how do I want to live, knowing that I'm finite, often what I find is kindness comes up. Got it. Right? So and, we, right? and then I do a thing, grief cafe, once a month, we're going to offer that. Well, the grief cafe is all about losses and in, how do we deal with endings. And people that are in grief are, are struggling with, what, where do I find lo- the meaning of life? How do I get through this? What's next? What, That's What's next? And when it's all stripped away, what matters most? And one of the words they're coming up with a lot is, Kindness, right? right. Um, we want to do more serving projects. You know, I, you know, I love my city. I want everybody to love their city like I love my city, and so we want to encourage people to find some projects in their in their local cities. We're coming up. You know, this fall will be the holiday time, 
and for Thanksgiving and Christmas and, you know, the harvest time and saying, how do we get involved in some serving projects and doing that and exercising that serving muscle, I think feels good. And it's a way to demonstrate kindness. And I think it helps us become more that way, the more we practice it. So yeah, so the actual acts will be acts of kindness, random acts of kindness, or mm-hmm. maybe non-random, right, strategically right. planned acts yeah, some, of kindness. Some of those are fine too, right? But yeah, and I think that that's, I think that's a really great, giving people permission to be kind is another thing too, that is, you know, mm-hmm. giving them a platform or a space to do that. Is really Even this important. podcast, you know, we're going to offer it once a week. You yeah. know, you and I are committed to being yeah. in here in the studio every week and, and releasing another podcast every week. And we want to interview all kinds of people from movers and shakers and moms and dads and people from all different walks of life and get them to tell their story, what's important to them. And somewhere in there, I'm always going to ask them too about, Hey, tell me about your definition of kindness. What does it mean to you? So right? it's sort of more, it's more of an exploratory rather than you found this one thing. And it's like, we know what, we know what kindness is. And here it is. It's like, what is kindness? Let's all try and figure out, let's all like mind the mountain. Cause I was saying kindness is such a big, deep word. It's like, it means a lot of different things. And so it's getting curious together. Yeah. I like right? that. It's Get, not yeah. a dogma. Right. We're not here dogma giving top down. Right. You and I are, are, you know, we've been using the analogy curators. Right. We want to be curators of people's gifts and talents and unearthing them. Right. Bottom up. And as we do that, you know, we get to then showcase people with gifts and talents and passions and interests. And along that way, we also get to inter. Uh, intersect because we know that somewhere in them is kindness and we get to bring that up too and kind of make that front and center as part of the conversation. Um, To have them focus on it, you know, and get them thinking about it and then hopefully involving them into this slowly growing organic tribe of, of people from church, non-church, secular, you know, all walks of life, all ages, all, all economic, Uh, any uh, trust fund kids out there that would like to fund us. That's that's right. Yeah. We'll, 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 uh, yeah, we'll gladly receive donations. Right. Um, and we're going to, but we're going to, we're going to give. Um, well, yeah, the donations you know? are just to run the, yeah. Do you want to yeah. talk a little bit about maybe the plan for, if anyone wants to give out there, you can find our website. Yeah. I mean, it's so cool. Our, our website now, by the time you're hearing this, it will have just gone live. It's kindnessrising.com and also kindnessrising.community. Yeah. And, um, it will have opportunities to, um, read about our activities. Also a place to sign up to, if you want to get, um, if you give us your email, I'm going to start writing a a monthly email newsletter that will go out about some updates on life and kindness and activities and a thought for the month probably. And then it'll also be a a place to listen and subscribe probably, or get more information about our podcast and then a a donate button. And luckily we are still, um, you know, a a nonprofit where, you know, California and federal, you know, tax deductible deductible organization. And if people want to give to support that for things like this show for service projects, um, to help make my life and our lives happen. Um, we, man, we would, we would welcome that. Yeah. Please anything or getting involved. We also talk about how, if you have a space that you want to lend to our thing, or if you have an idea for an event, that's a great place. We're trying to get as many people in the fold. Yeah, definitely. There's room, you know, we, we would, we would rather have a hundred really fired up, you know, or 10 really fired up, you know, people than a thousand, you know, just listeners only. Right. Um, but we we're convinced that anybody who's leaning in a little bit and is interested in and resonating with what we're saying that there's probably a reason for that. And it's probably, we probably are a place and a people, uh, for you to intersect with. 
and um, you can reach out. You can find me and or Kindness Rising on social media stuff. Send me a message. We're going to also start at the end of the month. Each month, we're going to offer a welcome dessert as like a meet and greet for people to be in person, face to face, share ideas, get acquainted, network, and then talk about the upcoming month. So our goal is involvement. Yeah. And if you're listening to this podcast and you're in a, we're located in uh, North Orange County, but if you're somewhere else and you'd like to get your own kindness rising events, don't think that it's just a local thing. We'd love to get some sister programs. That's the goal is, you know, yep. Yep. Not, we well, think kindness travels well. And we, if we can empower and support and network and help catapult something that you want to do into kind, you know, into your community, to do kindness rising. We want to do that. Got it. All right, I'm trying to think. Is there any last-minute stuff we should wrap up? For I, I just want to say thank you, Brandon, for oh, yeah, being willing you. to uh, partner with me on this podcast and partner with me in Kindness Rising. We've got some other people. We won't announce their names just yet, but in an upcoming podcast, we'll start to announce some of the other people that are joining us um, in Kindness Rising, the organization, as well as upcoming guests for future podcasts once we get some of them lined up. But for now, we'll let it just be the Keith and Brandon experiment yeah, while, while others <laughs> give us permission to use their names, um, you know, online. Yeah, and, legally. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. um, but thank you, Brandon, for, for doing this, for interviewing me t- today. And uh, I look forward to uh, what happens with us. I know the people are going to, this is going to be the first episode for no matter how far it grows, whether in, you know, right. it's going to be really, as I joked, I think before we recorded, they want to find out how their overlords in the future got started. <laughs> right. Now yeah, they know. Now they know. Well, yeah. yeah. Thanks for listening. You guys. Uh, it's funny. We should probably have some sort of like s- stay kind or some sort right. of, we need a send off that we could do. But uh, for now, I think we're just saying just maybe a sincere, we really want you involved. So find us on kindnessrising.com, kindnessrise.community, either one. And uh, on social media, depending, usually kindness rising, but kindness underscore rising. We'll, uh, it'll be in the show notes. All of our stuff is on our website. So much better than my word vomit right now. All right. All right. And to my uh, to my friends and family that are listening, I sure love you. And um, I'm so thankful for all your support all these years. And to future friends, we, we can't wait to uh, meet you and uh, do something cool and kind together. Cool. And yeah, Keith, thanks for having me involved. It's been a real, it's been a real pleasure. So you're welcome, dude. All right, man. All right. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. As always, the Kindness Rising podcast is brought to you by Kindness Rising. Kindness Rising is a community organization committed to inspiring, equipping, and resourcing people to lead lives that flourish, grounded in kindness, and aimed at doing good in the world. For more information, please visit our website at kindnessrising.community. There you can find out about our upcoming events, how to get involved. You can sign up for our newsletter, find out more information about this podcast, or even donate. Kindness Rising is supported solely by the generous contribution of our lovely donors, so if you would like to help support us, please go to kindnessrising.community forward slash donate.